Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this week we're discussing the aerospace industry. With me to discuss that is Julia Sutcliffe, Director of Air Labs and Chief Technologist Air at BAE Systems. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you for the opportunity to take part in the Foundation series. Now, BAE carry out a significant amount of its aerospace work on the defence side. What are the key technological drivers currently in the defence sector? Okay, a lovely question to kick things off with. So, like most major industries around the world today, the defence sector finds itself at a really interesting inflection point where the rise of digital technology, the availability of massive compute power, the Internet of Things, the data deluge, the ubiquitous application of AI, and the absolutely staggering scale of investment from the tech giants, and hence the commoditization of technology, is creating a really blistering rate of technological change and the consequent disruption. So far, that probably sounds like most sectors. So to make it specific to defence, we need to consider what our customers, the armed forces, do to keep us safe and the environment in which they operate. So their world is one in which information advantage is the discriminator, where high-speed decision-making, despite the data deluge, is critical, where performance has to be assured where systems must work, must be safe, and where operational agility in that connected, contested battle space across air, land, sea, and the cyber domains is a prerequisite. And threats evolve rapidly, and adversaries operate in the grey, and individuals are highly trained to do some of the most difficult jobs. So that's the environment that the customer's in. So if we consider the environment now of the systems integrator who supplies the capability and guarantees cost, safety and performance of systems, such as the Eurofighter Typhoon or the next generation combat aircraft, such as Tempest, the system integrator has to bring together and balance a range of disparate and often competing system attributes such as sensors, platforms, operator roles, effectiveness against threats, affordability of the design, of the acquisition, flexibility, interoperability, regulations, etc., etc. And to, this can take years, even decades. And a quick anecdote for you. When I was lucky enough to share the stage with Air Marshal Young, at the IET's annual engineering lecture. And Air Marshal Young had the invidious task of predicting the next 100 years of the RAF that was part of the centenary celebrations. And he said it's not possible to predict the next 100 years, but he could say with certainty that the next 50 would involve the Lightning II Joint Strike Fighter because that had just been procured by the customer. And that's a really profound statement. So how do you balance all of those performance parameters and stay ahead when the threat environment is changing rapidly and the technology environment is changing so rapidly? So the old paradigms just don't work anymore. So the defence sector is driving requirements that mean systems have to be affordable, have to be compelling to the adversary and the taxpayer. And the best example of that today 
is the Tempest example, the next generation combat aircraft announced as part of the UK government's combat air strategy. The, the system must be flexible, manned or unmanned. It must be upgradable. It has to be capable. It's got to be affordable. It's got to be connected. And the only way to realise that vision is to embrace the new technologies of Industry 4.0 and actually make them part of the solution. So if I just give you two examples to try and bring that to life. First of all, if you think about the cockpit of the next generation system, you think about the speed of conflict is increasing rapidly. There's far more data than a human could possibly analyse but they need to achieve information advantage. So we have to use machine intelligence to aid the operator. In other words, we have to create that cyber-physical system where the human and the, the machine cooperate. So you'll have onboard AI processing utilities such as machine learning, deep learning, classification, natural processing algorithms. So that interface between the machine and the human is intuitive and the human's role changes instead of just being a pilot they now become a battle space commander so that the technology compensates for the disabling environment by enhancing the capabilities of the human and now the human can control a fleet or a network of assets in that really difficult environment and the cockpit will be multimodal software reconfigurable it's customizable it's rapidly upgradable. It's got a, a complex helmet mounted display at the center of it, 3D audio, natural language processing and haptic feedback. And with psychophysiological monitoring, you'll have a virtual in-cockpit assistant that can understand pilot state and can dial up or dial down the amount of intelligence or processing that's developed by the machine. This is completely transformational capability and if you look at our cockpit vision for the future for the tempest solution it's nothing like any other cockpit you've seen before it's largely empty it's completely software based it's reconfigurable so that's a really good example where defense is really driving technology development and, and how do you think the this technology that's being driven in the defence sector, how is that then going to feed through into the civil aerospace sector or indeed into other yeah. areas of industry? Yep, so super question. So if you take, for example, let's take another a key example would be the factory of the future. So in the factory of the future, we're talking about a completely digital environment for integrating physical processes with the emerging technologies to create self-aware factory able to generate intelligent workflows to optimally sequence with collaborative systems of assembly so you've got humans and robotics with cobots working in partnership working in concert with each other additive layer manufacturing to make low batch numbers really affordable and multifunctional materials digital twins underpinning that sort of that vision of the future all of these things are transferable outside of the defense sector into 
complex integration environments in other sectors. Have you, as a company, been helping that transition? Have you got a particular example of something that has uh, you've moved through that system to others? Um, I guess there, there have been lots of examples over the years where, where Defence has um, pioneered technologies, whether it be in some of the mobile phone technologies, whether it's use of um, things like large-scale carbon fibre, etc., that are now in widespread application or silicon gyros in antelope braking systems. And you can see that the complex environment, the challenging environment that Defence operates in, means that it does drive through technology innovation. And certainly our ambition today is to completely revolutionise how we work, not just the products that we create, but the way in which we create them and really capitalise on this technological revolution that we have. I'm thinking of the wider ecosystem that mm -hmm. BAE lives within, including UK universities and government laboratories. Yeah, yeah all the high-tech firms, how well do you think that ecosystem works for BAE and, and how do you draw on it and what would make it work better? Yeah, so, so we do work extensive, extensively with a wide-ranging innovation ecosystem in the UK and, and beyond the UK and indeed partnership and collaboration is fundamental to our DNA. Uh, the majority of our work goes out through the supply chain and so we are we drive activity through thousands of suppliers in the uk across the majority of the local authorities so that is by our nature what we do and um, one of the things that we are starting to see more of now is a technology strategy in which we look for wider partnerships than the traditional so some of the non-traditional partners so teaming with gaming companies teaming with uh, Formula One and automotive are the kinds of things that we're starting to see now, teaming with novel textile companies. So we have a technology programme internally, which, has, which aims to accelerate skills and technologies in key areas such as AI, autonomy, data analytics, human machine teaming. And we work with the university sector. Uh, so we invest about 10 million pounds per annum across the university sector in the UK to create that sort of early pipeline. We really welcome government initiatives and investment in things like the Turing Institute, um, the autonomous systems hubs, that kind of thing. And we, we look to engage with the knowledge transfer networks and the catapults also to, to access the widest technology landscape that we could possibly access and to to leverage the huge investment that the tech giants and others are putting into those dual use technologies and pull them through into the defence sector. Are there things that we can learn from other countries about the way the ecosystem is set up? Are there ways that we could improve that ecosystem in the UK? There's a particular opportunity, I guess, as we emerge from coronavirus to put in place some new uh, structures or new incentives. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think, you, you know, you probably saw during the pandemic that force of real collaboration between industries, universities, government labs, pan-sector to work together and galvanised against, against a single issue on the, the ventilator issue, which is the one that I'm referring to here.
if, if you can create that kind of galvanizing force, something like Team Tempest, Next Generation, Combat Aircraft Technology, it's a way to pull through a whole set of skills and technologies and energy and, and enthusiasm and endeavor in, into creating a skills basis and, and prosperity in the UK. So moving away from technology onto people for a moment, given all that you said about the big challenges, what are the main skills that BAE needs from its people going forward? Obviously, we've touched on the sort of technological skills, big data, AI. These skills will be at a premium. But we're also looking at, as well as people that can operate in that technical space and can be comfortable with that lexicon of new big data and information advantage, other skills such as being able to understand customer need in a complex environment. Skills such as collaboration skills, as we tap into that vibrant, creative thinking, wider ecosystem, people who can collaborate cross boundaries, that can work pan-sector, that can work with academics, with SMEs, with government officials are really important. People who are curious, who are passionate, and who exhibit emotional intelligence and demonstrate that level of cognitive flexibility for the really dynamic environment of the future, that they are really important skills as well. So the technical and the soft skills, kind of two, two sides of the same coin, really. And to what extent does higher education system, for example, deliver the people with those skills that you need? And what more can be done in the UKHE sector? Yeah, so the education providers are indeed doing their best to adapt themselves to the dynamic environment and to provide the new skills that we need. But as I said, it, it is a, it's a partnership, it's an ecosystem approach, isn't it? So one of the things that we have to be able to do as a sector is, is better articulate what a career in technology actually looks like and what it will look like in the future. And so skills such as, you know, some of the gaming technology skills that are really accessible and understandable, we need to sort of express our sector in, in a framework that is appealing. We obviously work really closely with the education providers, the, the, the local environments. Um, we have the apprentice programmes. We invest a significant amount of of funding and effort into training up our young people and working with the SMEs and the wider supply chain as well. But it's not, it's not just new entrants, it's that complete through life, upskilling, multi-skilling as you go through your career and we, 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 we see more diverse career pathways emerging. So as a business, being able to support our employees through that kind of transition through life, we no longer have a static skill set for 40 years. That's really important too. So I was going to ask you about that. Uh, with all the changes that you talked about, how BAE work on continuous professional development uh, and the kind of new skills that they must need their workforce to develop as things technology and other things move forward what's the strategy within BAE to do some of these things yeah definitely so we have a really active skills program obviously um, as I said working in that sort of partnered environment 
um, we are investing significantly in upskilling our workforce in the, in the digital skill set through our learning academies. And that is a significant undertaking. We need people that can be comfortable and operate in that environment, but we also need people that can innovate in that environment. And so as well as the specialist engineers, we need colleagues in adjacent sectors. We need left brain thinkers, right brain thinkers, introverts, extroverts, a whole diverse set of skills that will generate the creativity that we need to really create agile solutions in what is an incredibly dynamic environment that we're in at the moment. So we take it really seriously. We consider ourselves to be custodians of sovereign skills for the defence sector. And so we are, we are very serious about how we maintain that and how we equip our people most effectively and our, our partners in the, in the supply chains too. Moving on to links with government, Obviously, uh, the government produced an industrial strategy a couple of years ago. It's likely to produce some other similar kind of strategy following coronavirus pandemic, whether it's couched as an industrial strategy or not. What are the, the key things that BAE would like to see in that kind of strategy? Well, I think what we would like to see in those strategies is a real focus on collaboration the last industrial strategy had a real emphasis on place and the importance of place that we feel is really important because uh, an ecosystem of schools uh, transport of jobs that's how we create prosperity our national advantage is defined by our skill sets our national security our economic prosperity go hand in hand so ensuring that we work closely as a partnership of government, of businesses, industry, uh, and education providers, is really important for us to realise the kind of future that, that the UK can have and contribute to our UK prosperity. So finally, it's, uh, it's an interesting time for business at sort of emerging from coronavirus and planning things forward. What are your own key priorities for the next 12 or 18 months? Well, I guess um, a, a key, it's, it's really difficult to think about the sort of key priorities at the moment, isn't it? When we've, we've sort of been in lockdown, like from, a, from a business perspective, a, a key priority would be to ensure our technology strategy supports our biggest endeavour, which is the Next Generation Combat Air Programme at the moment, it's Tempest as I've discussed. And fr from a personal perspective, given where we've been over the last 14 weeks, it's probably just more about, you know, looking forward to doing some of the things that we've missed, seeing uh, family, friends, seeing people in person, perhaps going back to swimming. I hope I can still fit in my wetsuit for open water swimming, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, uh, a great, <laughs> a great <laughs> to finish. And uh, I hope that you fit in the wetsuit as well and that you get back to some swimming. That would be wonderful. Julia <laughs> Sutcliffe, thank you very much. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week I was in conversation with Julia Sutcliffe, Director of Air Labs and Chief Technologist Air at BAE Systems. This podcast and all previous ones can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk 
where you can find about the other work of the Foundation, including our next online event, which is on the 15th of July, entitled Science and Politics, How to Bring Them Together and Keep Them Apart.